This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the second installment of the Season 3 Wrap-Up. It's been a great privilege for us sharing some of the wonderful insights our guests have provided through the course of the year. Thank you also for the wonderful continued support of the podcast this year. If you like what you hear during this particular episode, this is obviously the brief form of what our guests provided, go back and take a listen to some of those featured episodes for all of the content. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating or a review, and share the podcast with a friend. That's often how people find out about the podcast. Now, on this season, we had two episodes about devices, one on braces and the other on footwear. Howard Hillstrom joined us on episode eight to discuss how braces work to correct the alignment of the knee joint. So I think a great way to look at braces is that they're really mechanical devices and often patients are a little malaligned and that malalignment might be in a bow-legged capacity or it might be in a knock-kneed capacity. And the brace would basically be aligned such as to do the opposite. So if you were bow-legged, which you know is often referred to as varus, the brace would be set up to be valgus so that it would compensate for that varus uh, alignment. And although it doesn't have to make the limb perfectly straight, it usually doesn't, just by having a valgus correction or an opposing moment we refer to them as on the limb that's bow-legged, that can substantially offload the compartment of the joint that has the most pain and most damage due to the osteoarthritis. Now, many of you are really interested in shoes. And on episode five, we're joined by Rana Hinman to discuss the role of footwear and insoles in osteoarthritis. And she provided some really practical advice to people about their footwear. 
One of the things that has been quite eye-opening to us since we've been doing our footwear research is how much people neglect their footwear. So we've done when we've done our trials, we often get our, our patients to bring in their most commonly worn shoes, a few samples of them in so we can have a look at them and we take photos and have a look at them. And we ask them how old they are. And you'd be shocked at how, I mean, I'm shocked at how old. And it's like, I don't know whether... I think it's probably a couple of things, whether it's just something that people don't worry about, don't want to go and buy shoes, or maybe they're just a pair of old favourites and no one can bear to part with their shoes. But really we've seen, I think people don't appreciate how quickly shoes and the soles wear down. And so people need to really be in tune with how old their shoes are, what quality are they now, and are they still offering the support and all of the features that we buy footwear for. So, you know, it's all very well to go and buy a shoe that offers cushioning and medial arch support. But if you've worn it running or jogging or even walking for, you know, three years, it's, those shoes probably aren't going to be as effective as they were. And I think comfort is a really important thing with footwear and particularly with people with knee osteoarthritis where we know that exercise and physical activity is such an important aspect of core management and really we need to be encouraging and getting everybody exercising more. This is particularly important for people with OA, including doing more steps per day. In order to do that, having comfortable footwear that feel good and help encourage you to go walking is so important. So I would really encourage people to invest in a reasonably good quality, comfortable pair of walking shoes that fit well that aren't too small, that don't rub, and just so that it really does enable and facilitate that sort of participation in exercise that we know is so important. Blake Deer spoke about the common psychological conditions in adults with osteoarthritis and how different mental health conditions can affect individual experiences. We know that our mental health difficulties can affect people's experience and trajectory with chronic health conditions like OA in lots of different ways. One is, I guess, that they can rob people of their motivation and confidence to learn about the things they can do to manage their condition. So that's one obvious way that it affects people. They're not confident to do any exercise or to go out or to change how they do things. They may not be motivated for that. It can also affect how people engage with their health professionals. For example, whether if they're prescribed medications, they may not take their medications because they don't have the motivation, they can't remember, they're out of a routine. They may really struggle to stick to lifestyle recommendations around what to eat and how to exercise and how to get enough sleep directly as a result of anxiety and depression. We also know that anxiety and depression can increase people's experience of different symptoms. So pain is a, a common one where we know that when people are struggling with depression or are stressed and anxious, for a whole range of reasons, they tend to experience pain as more severe. On episode 12, Mariana Wingood spoke to us about the physical activity guidelines for older adults and again, gave some really good practical advice about what you should be doing. So any physical activity is good. It used to say that people should do at least bouts of 10 minutes of activity at a time. 
but really any movement is good movement. Really the goal of having about 150 minutes of moderate intensity activity. You can also do 75 minutes of vigorous activity or combining dose two in an aerobic form. Then it's really important to incorporate muscle strengthening at a moderate or greater level, and that should be done twice a week or more. And, you know, those pieces are actually the same for older adults as well as younger adults. For older adults, it's also really important to include what they call multi-component physical activity. And that really just means emphasizing balance and strength training that helps complete functional tasks throughout the day. And that should be done three days a week, which sounds like a lot. But the important piece to remember is that physical activity can be interwoven throughout the day. Physical activity can include gardening. It can include going for walks with friends. It can include carrying groceries, which tend to be heavier. So all those pieces are counted for that. Grace Lowe joined us in episode 14 to discuss the benefits of walking on knee pain and the results of a study she had recently conducted. Amongst the people who had radiographic knee OA, but no frequent knee pain, the people who walked were much less likely to develop frequent knee pain after four years of observation compared to the people who didn't walk. So the difference was like 37% amongst the people who did not walk. And then the people who did walk, it was like 26%. So there was 11% difference in the people who, who actually did versus um, did not walk. And that translated to like a, an odds ratio of 0.6. So like a 40% improvement in, in this particular outcome. So, so that was like the biggest finding. Along those physical activity lines on episode 15, Christian Barton joined us to speak about running and its health benefits? Yeah. I think, number one, it's enjoyable for many people. So that's really important, good for mental health and well-being. But if we take a public health perspective, we know that physical inactivity is a, a key risk factor for at least 35 different chronic diseases. So we're talking heart disease, diabetes, many cancers, um, depression, Alzheimer's, etc. And running provides a really inexpensive and accessible form of moderate to vigorous physical activity that you can take anywhere. You can be traveling and run. It's a great way to explore new cities and new places. And I think that's one of the reasons people turn to it and, and really, really enjoy it. There's a few systematic reviews out there looking at health benefits and how much running can be beneficial. Um, without going too much into the details, we know that regular running participation has all these health benefits related to physical activity. If we use a really simple stat of we all would love to live as long as possible because life is hopefully enjoyable. And we typically see from systematic reviews published, the life expectancy of a runner is about three years longer than a non-runner. So I think that's a really nice stat for people to think about out there. And that's regardless of other health profiling characteristics. So if you're a smoker or if you're a heavy alcohol drinker, if you're male or female, if you're older or younger, if you can be regularly participating in activity like running, you will live longer. Now, that's not to say that we should start smoking and drinking and do all those other things, but regardless of all those other things, running is, is very beneficial from that perspective. It helps our sleep, mental health, helps um, our, immunity, our immune system, which is really important. So there's so many different benefits. The other thing is that, and this is probably going to be an important theme of this conversation, is that our bodies are living things and they need stimulus in order to age well. And so if we don't place any loads on our tissues, 
then they actually deteriorate much faster. So we get weaker muscles, we get weaker bones, we get weaker joints, we get cartilage thinning, for example, when we think about osteoarthritis. So running's a nice way to provide some stimulus. And one way, to, one of the terms I'll often use with people is it's mechanotherapy, which is a term that was really pushed heavily by Alex Scott and Karim Khan back around 2009 with the BJSM publication, which I think is great. And the idea that we actually use load stimulus of exercise to facilitate tissue health and, and running is a really great example of, of, of an option that we can use to do that. So I think that's really important. On episode 18, Tasha Stanton spoke to us about common pain beliefs in osteoarthritis and how they can impact the uptake of evidence-based treatments. So one of the most common ones that people will have heard and, and many people who don't have osteoarthritis will have heard of is the idea that osteoarthritis is this bone on bone disease. It's painful because everything's bone on bone and it's a wear and tear disease of the joint and involves things like, you know, degeneration, changes, pathology. Those tend to be quite strongly held beliefs in people with osteoarthritis that the pain that I'm feeling is because I don't have any cartilage left and everything is bone on bone. If we hold really strong beliefs that, you know, I have pain because I have no cartilage left and my bones are rubbing against each other and it's this degenerative disease that's just going to get worse over time, it makes absolutely no sense to exercise or to undertake activity. Because when we look at, when we talk to people who do have osteoarthritis, they'll say things like, why, why would exercise make this any better? If it's a wearing out problem of my joints, why would doing more activity work? Wouldn't it make it worse? Or like, why is it important if I strengthen the muscles above and below my knee? If it's bone on bone, why would that help? And I think those are absolutely valid things to think. But when we begin to understand that osteoarthritis isn't just about the joint, that it has multiple complex contributing factors that includes things like inflammation levels that can occur due to higher levels of body weight, uh, particularly body fat. It can include higher levels of inflammation due to diet. It can include changes to kind of the sensitivity of our pain system. And when we understand that there's actually multiple different contributing factors and that exercise and activity is actually one of the best things to give our systems a bit of a push, a bit of a, a requirement to adapt and change, then it actually makes more sense why we might be saying, I actually think that you moving more is the most important thing for you to do. JP Canero spoke to us in episode 22 on how we can increase confidence and overcome fear of movement? Yeah, I think um, one of the key things for someone to build confidence is to understand what they're dealing with. So to get their understanding and reframe that understanding and use the word joint health, I think patients often come in with the idea of disease. They just think of the bits of the knee that don't work anymore. And you go, right, what about the bits that work? We need to keep them healthy. So Having that understanding is one aspect. The other aspect is it's a combination of having knowledge, but having an experience that promotes active learning about how they use their body. And that experience is guided by a clinician that will listen to your story, that will look at how you use your body when you're trying to do the activities that are provocative or you're frightened of, 
uh, and help you modulate how you use your body and try to understand why you're using your body in that way. So if you have a, a felt experience of using your body in a way that feels less threatening, potentially less painful, and you have an understanding that in doing so, you can, the health of your joint and your overall health, that starts giving people an ability to build some confidence in their body. Ali Langford joined us on episode 20 to discuss opioids and their harms. Well, I think there's quite strong evidence that opioids have quite significant harms or potential harms related to their use. And I believe over 80% of people who are using opioids long-term experience uh, adverse effects from these medicines. And they can range from quite mild side effects from things like nausea and constipation to quite severe side effects like respiratory depression, which can lead also cognitive impairment, which can contribute to things like falls um, and of course, death or overdose from opioids. So of course, those side effects are of concern. And that coupled with the fact that there isn't really strong evidence for the ongoing benefit of these medicines in chronic pain conditions. So when looking at opioids compared to both placebo as well as other non-opioid therapies, there isn't significant benefit in terms of pain and function. So I think the difficulty arises when we don't have good evidence for the benefit, but there's quite strong evidence for the harms of these medicines. We really should be re-evaluating their appropriateness of use in individual patients. Steve Morris spoke to us about the importance of health literacy. So the first element is that the individual skills needed to find, understand, appraise and apply information. So there's four aspects of skills, many of which can lead to inadequate health literacy. But the second issue, which is often, I think, not acknowledged or not or misunderstood, is then the context in which that health literacy applies. And that often leads to, or is caused by the demands that the health system puts on the individual, whether the demands of an institution or demands of an individual health professional. So I suppose just to give you an example of that, you could have somebody that's highly literate, goes to see their doctor, gets an additional diagnosis of RAOA, and because of the way that's explained to them and possibly the jargon that's used, they don't understand anything that's said to them. So a highly literate person, in a particular context can have less than adequate health literacy. So it really is that intersection of both the individual and their skills, the four skills that I mentioned, but also the context and the environment in which those are applied, which can make it really difficult. Tom Perry discussed his important research in occupational risks and the development of osteoarthritis. Specific job titles were associated with knee osteoarthritis. So these were farming, builders, metal workers, floor layers, to name a few. And then of those physical activities, those occupational physical activities, we showed that lifting, kneeling, climbing, squatting, and standing were also all associated with higher odds of neosarthritis compared to sedentary work or sedentary physical activity. On our final episode of season three, Steve O'Keefe shared his story about living with arthritis. I would say, you know, two patients, keep your head up. You know, I've always been a self-starter and candidly, I thought that I could fix anything. I've always done that my whole life. I've started companies, I've dealt with adversity. This has been the hardest thing that I've ever had to deal with. The reality of getting older is dreadful. And, you know, you're Australian, I'm sure you're tracking David Sinclair and the anti-aging initiatives that he's purporting. So that's 
exciting. A huge part of this disease is in your head. And depression is definitely a real thing. So, you know, talk to people, um, talk to your family, and don't give up. As always, I was really happy to hear that most everyone was on Team Dog. Dog all the way. Dog. Definitely dogs. They're less moody than cats. I've got a cat, and I don't think my cat likes me. <laughs> oh, definitely a dog. You can't take a cat for a walk, can you really? Our guests also provided lots of words of wisdom and advice to people living with osteoarthritis. Well, there's lots of advice. One, I think, is to not get too hung up on labels and medical terms and going, I've got osteoarthritis, I can't, or I can't do this, or this is going to happen. I think my message is focus on what you can do and what you can do to manage your condition and continue to do what you want to do um, and improve your situation rather than focus on a, a medical term that really doesn't really tell us what's going on or, or what's going to happen to you in the future. Don't give up and keep moving. We used to think in the 70s and 80s that the most important metric for health was blood pressure. And not to say that it's not an important metric. Certainly, it's an important metric. But I would say today in the 2000s, 2010s and 20s, it's movement. If you can move, then nobody can put a tag on your toe. And if you can move, you're able to build your muscle mass. You're able to build your aerobic capacity. You're able to reduce body mass, you know, through exercise and keep your strength of your muscles and the integrity of your bones in terms of bone mineral density and all of that good stuff. So I would say move. One's journey with osteoarthritis is different. I actually will admit, even though I do all these crazy activities and people are always shocked, I was actually diagnosed with osteoarthritis at the age of 28. And my physician told me to stop running, stop doing everything that I was doing, but it was such a big part of my identity. I couldn't really fully let go of running. So I switched to more trail running and more Ironmans, which also have a lot of running, but focusing on cycling. But my point is that everyone also has a bad day and good days, no matter what. And even though I remain active, there's days where my pain and swelling is really unhappy with me. Let's just say it that way. And I have to modify things and it's okay to modify it, but it's important to be able to go back to the things that bring you joy because, you know, that's, that's really, really important. And for me, that's remaining as highly active as I can. And it's important for whoever you are to find what brings you joy day to day basis. Your body is amazing. It adapts, but it needs the right stimulus to optimize that adaptation. So don't give up on running and seek help to ensure that you do that. Don't chase the quick fix. I think I would just say your journey is not determined. It is not inevitable that you will need surgery. Your future of osteoarthritis can be constructed. There are many things you can do to help and it can improve. And I think believing that deep down in your gut makes all the difference. So again, in closing, if you like what you heard, Go back and take a listen to some of those featured episodes for their full content. 
There's lots of wonderful insights and thoughts from our guests. As we draw towards a close for the year, happy holidays. I hope you enjoy a wonderful break with family, friends. We'll be back in the new year. And in the interim, subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any new episodes. We'll look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks again for your continued support. And between now and next year, do take good care of yourself. Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, visit www.jointaction.info. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointactionorg. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.